0: If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Kings, uh, 1st chapter 16, and then over to chapter 21, and then to Revelation chapter 2. I'm starting today the second half of the series. Um, that uh, that I started. The first half was on, was for the men, and uh, so hopefully, men, you feel rather manly uh, at the moment in Christ. And the, the second portion of this is going to be for the women. And uh, uh, so, and it's, uh, the second part is called Step Forward in Faith, O Women of God. Step forward in faith. The first one was, Rise Up, O Men of God. Step forward in faith, O Women of God. But that's a long sermon series title, so I just broke it down. Anyway, we start uh, reading here in uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29, uh, and we read about um, Ahab becoming king. Pardon me. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. What a statement is that? By the way, you hear this talk about Judah and Israel. At this point in time, the kingdom is divided. So you have Judah and Benjamin as the southern kingdom and Israel as the northern kingdom. Um, Verse 31. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal, and worshipped him. Or you can say Baal, either one, and worshipped him. So he marries this woman named Jezebel. Let's hear a little bit more about her. Chapter twenty-one. Uh, Naboth, a Jezreelite, he has a he has a vineyard, and uh, Ahab the king wants it. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Uh, Samaria and Israel, the same thing here. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. And I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in this city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab rose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. And then down to verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. And then let's skip over to Revelation chapter 2. We start with verse 18. Jesus is writing letters to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Well, one of the great sadnesses, I think, uh, of my life and Karen's life, as you all know, is is that we don't have our own children. And I remember when we were dating and we were talking about the number of kids that we might have, uh, I remember thinking I wanted boys. Sorry, girls. I know, you know, because, you know, every man, what does he want? He wants a son, right? You know, I want a son to grow up and play baseball with or it'd be football here, but baseball, you know, I want a son to, to do all this. But, you know, something really strange happened to me uh, after we were married. My heart changed about that. And I found myself wanting daughters, which, you know, it's not unusual. I mean, most of us, you know, we just want someone that's healthy, right? You know, as long as it has two arms, two legs, a head, not two heads. You know, that that kind of thing. You know, most parents are happy with that. But I remember thinking that I wanted daughters. And the even more interesting thing was, I was thinking I wanted daughters, and as they grew up, my dream was that they would become preachers. And I thought, wow, that's kind of strange. Uh, Because it's not the normal pattern of thinking that one has, but but that was in my heart, and that was my desire, and certainly all the time that I've been a pastor, one of my, my biggest desires, one of my biggest goals has always been to see women step into ministry, step into leadership, and thrive and flourish in that capacity. I've always wanted to see women released into their calling and destiny. Now, I want to see men do that as well. I mean, I've I, Privilege to have many sons in the Lord, and I thank God for that. And as the, the sermon series Rise Up, O Men of God, shows, I've got a passion for men to be men in Jesus Christ and to, to be the leaders God has called them be, to be, the warriors, and, and so on. But I also have this passion about women, which has not always been the case. It is the case a lot more uh, in the church in the West today, but certainly when I was, uh, when I was young, uh, as a minister. That wasn't quite the, the situation, but that was a desire and that was a calling in my heart. And, and I thank the Lord that not only do I have sons in the Lord, but I also have daughters in the Lord. And my passion is just as great for my daughters, my spiritual daughters, as it is for my spiritual sons. I've always wanted to encourage women in leadership and ministry but one of the great sadnesses of my ministry, one of the great, great sadnesses of my ministry, as I look back on more than 30 years of serving the Lord uh, as a minister, as an ordained minister, has been the number of women that have failed to move into their calling and destiny in the Lord. And the number of women in, in the churches that I've led, you know, not just in general, although it's true in general, But I look over the last 30 years and I can easily count more than three dozen women. And it's much more than that, but more than three dozen women that I've known, that I've worked with, who failed to step forward in faith into their calling and destiny in the Lord. And it's one of the great tragedies that I've seen. And as I've seen this, and again, my heart has been to release women into their calling, destiny, and ministry. As I've seen this, over the years, I've seen a number of highly predictable things, reasons why this has happened. And so when the Lord began to lead me into this sermon series, He began to show me various texts, particularly in the New Testament, that actually reveal some of the dynamics that I have witnessed that have caused women not to move forward in their calling and destiny, not to really experience the fullness of what God has had for them. And so the focus of these next four weeks are going to be to examine these various things and hopefully to encourage women, not only those of you that are here, but other women that are listening to this, to examine their lives, to see if any of these issues are there and then to seek to eradicate them from their lives, avoid them in their lives, deal with them, and hopefully help their sisters in the Lord deal with them as well. Because it's a lot easier for sisters in the Lord to speak to sisters in the Lord, just as it is a lot easier for brothers in the Lord to speak to brothers in the Lord about these kinds of issues. And hopefully we men will have some learning that comes along with this as well. Now, I know for some people, they, they really are challenged, you know, are women really supposed to be leaders? Uh, because we tend to focus on a couple of passages from the scriptures that have historically, uh, meaning historically, meaning the last two, three hundred years, been radically misinterpreted or misunderstood. And we have failed to focus on the reality of what the New Testament says. I mean, the New Testament is very clear that women are called into leadership and ministry in the church. I mean, just think about this. Here are some women mentioned in the New Testament who were leaders, church leaders. You have Philip's daughters in Acts 21 who were prophets. You have Priscilla who was uh, in Acts 18 and Romans 16 and other places who alongside Aquila was an apostle. You have Phoebe in Romans 16, you have Junia, also in Romans 16. Romans 16. You have Chloe in 1 Corinthians 1.11. You have Yodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4, who were leaders in their church. You have Nympha in Colossians 4.15. You have Aphia in Philemon 2. You have the chosen lady and the chosen sister, both of which are in 2 John. And by the way, the the language of 2 John indicates that both women were leaders of house churches. Both women led house churches, churches that met in their house. Uh, And so women are called into leadership. Women are gifted into leadership in the kingdom of God. And women, I think, have a choice to either to step into their leadership as the women of God, God has created them to be, or to allow their ministry or their leadership to be diverted. And what we see oftentimes in the body of Christ is that sometimes women can behave more like women of Jezebel, which we just read about, than they are behave like women of God. But we don't often see that. But that is a big choice that women have. Do you lead as women of Jezebel or do you lead as women of God? And if you lead as a woman like Jezebel, then you will always divert your calling and destiny in the Lord. Always. But what does that mean? I mean, it's really difficult because over the years, especially uh, the last 30 years, the body of Christ has talked a lot about, you hear things about the spirit of Jezebel and a lot of things like that Uh, that are talked about. Uh, I've many times heard women labeled as a Jezebel when actually they were just a strong leader. So we really need to be careful when we're talking about this and understand that no woman is a Jezebel. No matter how much they're influenced by a demonic spirit, they're not Jezebel in that way. But we do need to beware because there is a dynamic And there is a spirit, I think there's a demon as well as a dynamic that can be labeled as Jezebel, even though we don't label women as Jezebel, that can be labeled as Jezebel that women must beware of and seek to avoid not only in themselves, but especially in other women. Because many times I've seen women who are not Jezebels in themselves be led astray, by someone who is behaving more like a Jezebel. So what does that mean? I'm going to hit this very rapidly so your heads will spin a little bit, uh, but you can download the sermon to listen to it again uh, and take further notes if you need to. Now when we're talking about leading as women of Jezebel, we need to consider both the representation of Jezebel in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jezebel is the only negative female character mentioned in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Most other women, are like Sarah, are represented in largely a positive kind of way. So what was she like in the Old Testament? What was she doing? What were her actions? And this is the big thing. You need to look at actions here, behaviors, not attitudes that you perceive or anything like that. So Jezebel in the Old Testament... She was undermining and manipulating people with legitimate authority, like her husband. Sometimes she would assume authority that did not belong to her. She would take over somebody's authority. For example, in Naboth's situation, uh, she said, okay, Ahab, you just lay in the bed and behave like a baby, and I'll take care of this. Now she started to assume authority that didn't belong to her. One of the biggest things is she incites others to do wrong so that it's difficult to trace it back to her. And this is one of the biggest indicators of somebody behaving like a Jezebel. If they're inciting other people to do wrong things, but they do it so that if they're ever challenged, they say, well, I didn't say that. I wasn't doing that. You can't blame me for that. You notice how she did that secretly. Jezebel uses secrets, gossip, and unrighteous criticism. It's one of the biggest reasons why we don't allow secrets here at City Temple other than that that comes out of the uh, Steps to Freedom, the confidentiality. Because if somebody ever comes up to you and says, well, people are saying, you need to find out, okay, what people are saying this? Because we don't operate by those secrets. Also... She often operates out of jealousy and envy. Jezebels, uh, people behaving like Jezebels will undermine, uh, emasculate, uh, or attack men. And they often have no strong men or male leaders in their lives. They may have a broken relationship with a husband or a father or something like that. They can also make themselves victims of men. If you ever see someone behaving like they're always a victim... Jezebelic people attack prophetic people, and they seek to diminish or undermine them. Jezebel attacked uh, uh, Elijah the prophet, even caused him to run away. Uh, And they also make false or misleading accusations, and they can deceive other people into spreading the falsehood, such as the treatment of Naboth. And when you see these kinds of behaviors in someone, and oftentimes they're behaviors that are operating behind the scenes, you need to beware because these are what would be called Jezebelic behaviors. In the New Testament, And what Jesus was saying here, he adds this list uh, of this woman that was apparently behaving like Jezebel in the church there in Thyatira. That wasn't her name. I mean, no self-respecting person in that day would name their child Jezebel, because they all knew Jezebel in the Old Testament. So it's a label that Jesus gives to the behavior of this person. So what was this person in the New Testament doing? She was claiming a prophetic gifting, or she was claiming to be a prophet, but she was doing it in a way that seemed to be independent or set apart from others. If you see someone, particularly a woman, who's claiming to be a prophet but has no, is under no authority is not being accountable to anyone, beware. One of the things I always do is ask people to write down prophetic words, especially if they are critical. Uh, many years ago I had a, a, a woman coming in on a Thursday, and she'd come in after the Thursday service and start prophesying negative stuff to me. And Okay, uh, I'm, I'm a big boy, I can handle that. But I said, well, you need to write this down. Uh, And she refused to write it down. So I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't listen to you unless you write it down. Uh, And then she came back again uh, and doing the same thing. And I said, I'm sorry, Uh, you've refused to write it down. You haven't given me your name. You don't tell me what church you're from. So let me escort you out. I told her to leave and not come back. Because you don't tolerate that. That is a sinful behavior there. Uh, sometimes this person will use what I like to call charismatic witchcraft. Uh, that's, they try to manipulate people using prophecy, a highly emotional praying, or other spiritual means. Uh, this person can say, Oh, you know, Olashina, I feel like you need to give me uh, 50% of your income. Uh, the Lord's telling me this. Uh, and the people like this, they often use words like, The Lord says... And when you get somebody come up to you and says, the Lord says, how can, you act, uh, how can you deal with that? You can deal with it by saying, well, the Lord didn't tell me. And so, you know, that's fine if you think the Lord said to you. Because I won't be controlled by your prophecy. I won't be controlled by the way you pray. And I've seen people operating in, in this spirit, in this attitude that get highly emotional. I mean, they're, just, oh, Lord, they're crying and they're weeping and they get loud. And people are like, oh, wow, that's amazing prayer. How, look how they're into that when it has nothing to do with God. It's all about manipulation. It's all about control. It's something that's demonic, not God. And so that can happen. Oftentimes, this person, according to Jesus, will pose as a teacher. They'll seem to have knowledge that other people don't have. And they're often self-styled, so they, they're not taught by anybody else. They haven't been trained, but, but they make themselves out to be a teacher. Now, one of the confusing things about what Jesus says, he talks about how she seduces people. And we can assume that that's about some kind of sexual thing. It's not. That word seduction leads, means simply enticing somebody to go in a different direction than they're supposed to go. That's what that seduction is. It's drawing people away from God's best. Drawing people away from God's will. And that's often what a Jezebelic person will do. And they always do that behind the scenes. It's a bit like Satan, you know, who said to Eve, well, did God really say? You know, many times they'll come up and say, well, is that really the Lord? You know, are you really supposed to do that? That sounds kind of crazy to me, or you should do it this way, or you should do it another way. Uh, now, now, oftentimes, what it, is, it may have a bit of a seductive quality to it, even a sexual quality to it, but it doesn't have to. Uh, sometimes this happens through some kind of immorality, almost like they're enticing you into a relationship. Uh, But sometimes it can happen through what Jesus here calls idolatry, which simply is any kind of wrong practice using unrighteous means to seek righteous, apparently righteous ends. That word idolatry encompasses a lot of these different things. But there's a drawing aside, there's a drawing astray. And one of the biggest indicators for me... And this is really what I have learned over the years, which Jesus mentions here, is this person will always resist or refuse to repent. They resist or refuse to repent. One of the biggest ways to tell if somebody is really walking with Jesus is if they acknowledge that they've done something wrong, and they take responsibility for it, and they turn away from it. You know, as a leader, I don't really, I'm not really bothered so much by people's sins. Now, I know that sin is wrong, and I don't want people to sin, so don't mishear me in this. But frankly, what I really care about, and what I believe God cares about, is your repentance, not your sin. He wants you to deal with the sin, don't stay in the sin, but He cares about your repentance. Uh, I really don't I mean, we're going to make messes, right? And one of my favorite verses in Proverbs is, you know, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Do you know what that means? When you got people working, they're going to make messes. It's going to stink sometimes. You know, that's okay. Just own the mess, right? It's like, oh yeah, I know that, that pile of stinky stuff, my bad. I left it there. I'm sorry. And if you do that, that is an indicator of somebody who's walking with the Lord. But people operating like a Jezebel will always resist doing that. They refuse to take personal responsibility for what they've done. They will refuse to admit their mistakes or even that they've even made a mistake. They always try to appear to be right. They don't like to be not right. And this is a big thing. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I've sat with a, a Christian woman who was operating in an unhealthy way and I say, you know, this happened, it wasn't good. And they say, well, I didn't do that. That wasn't my fault. I mean, some man made me do that or some other person made me do that. Uh, that was, really wasn't wrong. You're not understanding that. And whenever I see a person just squirming around taking responsibility, I know, whether it's a man or a woman, I know that they're not really in the right place with the Lord. And I will always mistrust that person until I see them take responsibility. It doesn't matter. We're all going to sin, right? The key thing is we take responsibility and repent. And if somebody refuses to do that, then it can be very dangerous. Even if they're not operating in a Jezebelic way, they can really open themselves up for demonic influence. Just a couple more qualities here. A Jezebelic person will often gather people around her who link themselves with her spiritually. So she wants to get people linking themselves with her, which is what's meant by adultery there. It's not talking about physical adultery although that can sometimes happen, it's actually talking about a spiritual kind of adultery where your allegiance moves from Jesus to that person, or your allegiance moves from the leadership of the church to that person. Uh, These people will often be recognized because they have many illnesses or infirmities. They might go through difficulty or tribulation, or the people will die themselves spiritually. They'll just seem to walk away from the faith. And finally, this person, it's a little bit later in the passage there, oftentimes will have, seem to have deep spiritual knowledge. This is what Jesus calls the deep things of Satan. They seem overly spiritual, uh, and they seem to have exceptional or mysterious spiritual knowledge. It's like, oh, it, uh, I, I know these things. Well, where do you know these things from? Well, oh, the Lord has just revealed it to me. And it's something weird or esoteric. Uh, I've seen this a lot of times in, in the way people name demons. I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at how many different names that people bring up for a demon. I'm just like, well, that's not a demon. That's just something you made up. Uh, and, and I've seen this so often where they say, well, you can't understand how I pray. Uh, so you can just watch me pray. Or just any kind of thing like that where it's inaccessible spiritual experience or spiritual knowledge. It's something that's very unhealthy and can indicate that the person, uh, most often a woman, is operating in a spirit of Jezebel. Now, how do you recognize this? I mean, I've given you 14 different clues here, but how do you really recognize this? Does that mean if somebody says, resists repenting, that they're operating as Jezebel? No, it doesn't. Usually, I say, if there's three to five characteristics that I see in a person, and I watch for behavior, not attitude. I watch for behavior, which sometimes takes longer because you have to really observe over a long period of time, but if I see three to five Jezebelic behaviors, then I say this person is operating in an unhealthy way. If I see seven to ten, then they're probably demonized in some way. And so when we talk about this, we need to understand that, you know, sometimes women who are, are leading like women of Jezebel, not women of God, doesn't mean that, that, they're, that they have a demon. Sometimes it does. I, I've, I remember one woman who I'm really convinced that was genuinely demonized and needed deliverance, uh, but I don't know that she ever received it. So people can be demonized with the Jezebel spirit, and they need radical deliverance and healing. Sometimes people can be influenced by a demonic spirit, and I think there is a demonic spirit, and sometimes this demonic spirit just whispers in people's ears, and they need to have discernment, sometimes deliverance, but definitely repentance. One of the biggest dangers here is that, and it's true with any kind of demonic spirit, but certainly with the spirit of Jezebel, is that, the spirit, the demon, can masquerade like the Holy Spirit, can pretend to be the Holy Spirit, so you think you're listening to God when you're not. And that can be a very, very dangerous situation, and people can be absolutely committed believing that they're listening to God, but it's not God that's speaking to them. And that can happen in other situations as well. But probably, uh, and we need to remember too, that demons can give false prophecy and false words of knowledge. Many times people are convinced that somebody operating in a Jezebelic way is actually operating out of the Spirit of God because they give a prophetic word or they have a word of knowledge. But demons know these things and can influence us in an unhealthy way. So we need to remember that. But I think most of the time women who are behaving in a jezebelic way are simply behaving in a sinful way there's many reasons why we all sin and there's many sin tendencies that we can all have and when that happens what we need to do is simply repent and start cooperating with proper authority so that you don't give an opening to the spirit of jezebel but i've talked to all this negative stuff and that's enough of that and by the way this is the most negative stuff that I'll talk about in the whole series. But what does it mean to lead as a woman of God? I mean, that's what we focus on. We need to recognize if we're being tempted to act in a Jezebelic way, or if we're acting that way, or as I said, if you have a sister in the Lord who is acting that way, you need to be able to speak into her life and caution her because women who act in a Jezebelic way will never move into their calling and destiny in the Lord. And many times they end up going from church to church to church causing damage in every single church seeming to be righteous and holy so that they leave in a huff only to go to another church win people over and cause damage again. And the patterns can repeat itself. So we need to know women how do you lead as women of God? How do you lead as women of God? And I want to suggest seven things quickly. First of all, women leading as women of God maintain their identity in Christ, not in anything they do. You are in Christ Jesus, women. And your identity needs to be in Jesus Christ. This means that you must not try to imitate men in leadership. I've seen over the years, many women try to behave like men. Don't behave like men, behave like women. God didn't create you as a man. He created you as a woman, and he created you good. He liked the way he created you. So you need to find your own unique style and calling in the Lord and lead in the way that the Lord has designed you and gifted you. I think it's very similar to what we said about men. The second thing... Women leading as women of God recognize the source of their emotions and their spiritual impressions. They understand that it's either from their self, uh, they under- it could be from the world, it could be from the flesh, it could be from Satan, it could be the Holy Spirit, and then they deal with them accordingly. So you recognize your emotions. Don't try to squelch your emotions and don't invalidate your emotions, but recognize them and recognize where they're coming from. So that they don't overcome you, but you use them appropriately. You resist any kind of heavy spirituality or weirdness or, you know, over-emotionalism. Doesn't mean you can't be emotional. But don't use it. Don't use your emotion as a leadership tool. Uh, remember, that tears can be used to manipulate people just as much as they are used to say, hey, this is, I'm having a genuine encounter of God. So recognize the source of your emotions and deal with them accordingly. The third thing, women leading as women of God cooperate fully with other people, especially other men, in leadership. Sometimes in the Bible this is called submitting to leadership, but submission is simply the spirit of cooperation. You seek to work together with, not work against. You work together with Men with leaders. And understand it's not about you coming into the fullness of your ministry. It's about the church becoming fully who she's called to be. The next thing, women leading as women of God, maintain confidentiality and confidences. I mean, we men, we sometimes break confidence, but it's a lot harder for us to do because we don't talk that much many times. You know, when you're with another guy and you're going, uh, and the guy's saying, uh, and say saying, uh, 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 you know, it's hard to share very much when you're doing that. But, you know, women, they tend to go deeper than that. And so you need to maintain those confidences if you're going to lead as a woman of God. Next, and along with this, women leading as women of God refuse to gossip, criticize, or complain, especially when they don't get their own way. Refuse to gossip, criticize, or complain. The next one, and the second most important after leading out of your identity in Christ, women leading as women of God. And by the way, this is in the workplace as well as in the church. Women leading as women of God minister out of their gifting. It might be their spiritual gift, it might be that they're a ministry gift an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. It might be the talents and abilities that God has given them, but they minister out of their gifting, calling, and character, but not out of a sense of, I have a right to be a leader, or I I need to be in this position. So there's no clamoring for position. There's no, this is my right to lead as a woman. They're leading out of their calling and gifting. I had some questions about this one time, and I asked my mom years ago when she was still alive, obviously, I don't make a practice of talking to my mom now, just, just so you know, now that she's dead. Uh, but I, you know, I was struggling with this, this issue of women in leadership when I was a teenager. And I was praying because I was praying through what the Bible was saying and all of that. And my mom uh, had, was raised in a Pentecostal Assemblies of God type church. And she just said, matter of factly, she said, Rod, you know, we've always had women preachers and ministers. And I thought, oh, wow. Well, this is a conservative group. Why? And I realized the reason is they were allowing women to minister out of their gifting, their calling, and their character. And that's what we do. We allow women to minister out of their gifting and calling and character, not out of right or clamoring. This also means, ladies, don't relinquish your leadership when you're surrounded by men. You don't have to do that. Don't relinquish your leadership when you're surrounded by men, but just lead as the person God's called you to be. Finally, they take personal responsibility for their sins and mistakes, remaining accountable. You take responsibility for everything you say. You refuse to excuse yourself with, well, I'm just saying, or some kind of phrase like that. And taking responsibility is one of the greatest tests of true biblical leadership. Now, guys, if you were listening to this list, you'll realize that this list is as true of you as it is of women, which I think is an important thing to say as well. But women, you are called to lead as women of God. This is God's calling on your life. The church needs women leading as women of God. The world needs women leading as women of God. Jesus releases both women and men into leadership so that the church of Jesus Christ will advance his kingdom and we will see together many people following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So women, step forward in faith as the leaders God has called you to be. And know that here at City Temple, we will always give you the freedom to do that. And know here at City Temple that you have a minister in this church who is passionate about you leading fully as God has called you to be. No matter where you are, your leadership is valuable. Your leadership is essential, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the world. We need women of God leading as the women God has created them to be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the women that you have raised up as leaders to do ministry, to serve you. It's such an amazing privilege to be connected. It's such an amazing privilege. And I thank you. And I honor you and I worship you. And I pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, first of all, that your Holy Spirit, as we worship you, your Holy Spirit will come. And in the name of Jesus, as a spiritual father in this place, I bind and rebuke every negative, disparaging word that's been spoken over any of my sisters or daughters in the Lord associated with this church. I take authority... And I say that you are not put down, but you are raised up to be who you are in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you'd heal the woundedness of the women associated with our church, the women that are le- listening to this. Heal their woundedness, give them strength, all in the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you and we worship you. And we honor you. And Lord, I pray that as we worship today, you would also speak into the hearts and minds of women in our church and those listening to this. And Lord, if there's any way that they have behaved in a Jezebelic way, I pray, Lord, that you'd lead them to repent. And I pray that there would not be any condemnation or shame, but simply a prompting of your Holy Spirit for them to turn away from any wrong behaviors. And turn toward all that you have in your Son Jesus Christ. And finally, Father, I pray that as we worship you, you'd begin to speak to the women of our church and, and show them the ministry to which you've called them. Show them their calling, character, and gifting in the Lord. Give them inspiration for how they might serve you more fruitfully and more effectively to the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.